We're getting close. We're drawing near to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Hard to believe. Uh, By the time we finish up next Sunday, we will have been uh, in this one sermon about six months. But it's that powerful. And Jesus now, as he's drawing all of these things to a conclusion, as we sat with the Lord, with the disciples, with that crowd, that multitude last Sunday night. Really this morning was that same picture from the Apostle Paul's view. But last week we saw that there were two gates, two roads, there's two destinations, there's two people, two different ways you can travel if you like to look at it that way. And now the Lord goes on to to bring an additional truth and really the remainder of the sermon is this picture of these choices, these these two contrasting thoughts and ideas. Each time he moves, he moves to remind us of this. We'll pick up tonight in Matthew 7 and verse 15. And now as he said, look, there's there's a narrow gate And that leads to life. And there's a wide gate, and that leads to destruction. As there's a narrow path or a narrow way, and that leads to life. There's that broad path, and there's all kinds of people on it. They're on the wrong road. It leads to, to perdition. He's reminding us also that there's two different kinds of people and those two different kinds of people make two choices. And so now it makes absolute sense that he would highlight that truth by reminding us that there's also people preaching the wrong Jesus. That there are those who purport to be Christians. Even say that they're pastors. They actually have very large churches. But there are false prophets in this world as well. There have always been false prophets in the church. There's also fruit that hangs on every tree that's a good tree. And there's fruit that hangs on bad trees. And so we need to be fruit inspectors. We need to rightly discern the truth. And as Jesus brings us to our attention, he really does so in a way that we can understand it. Because sometimes we get confused. I've had people come to me and say, you know, well, I went to this church and it was absolutely filled with people. Don't forget what Jesus last said. There is a broad road that leads to destruction and many there are who go on it. So just because a church is big does not necessarily mean that it preaches the truth. And we have some very large churches here in this country that I believe preach another gospel. And the way that we discern those things is by looking at the truth. And we then see what kind of fruit hangs on that tree. And so as Jesus continues... We travel along with the disciples, our 22nd study here in the Sermon on the Mount, our 38th study since we started this Simply the Savior series, Fruit Inspectors. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us instruction on what to look for, how to judge rightly and correctly, and Lord, we know that Your word tells us that we're to judge very carefully because the same measure with which we judge others, we ourselves will be judged. And so we don't want to judge wrongly or quickly or harshly. But Lord, fruit is fruit. And bad fruit is bad fruit. And so we pray tonight that you'd open our eyes to understand the truth of your word. Help us to learn and discern. Help us to grow. We ask that you bless your word, speak to us through it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Verse 15 in Matthew 7, beware of false prophets. Now anytime the Lord Jesus, anytime scripture says beware, it isn't because he's trying to be shocking or use some type of language that's unduly uh, corrective. It's because there is a real and a legitimate danger. The Apostle Paul uses this word, Jesus uses it many times. And he says, beware of false prophets. And during that time, there were still those who professed to be prophets, though the time of the prophets had actually ceased some 400 years earlier, Malachi being the last of them. And so now the word being completed as Jesus himself speaks, and so Jesus warns us of those word distortion experts who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And I want to draw your attention to something that's often misinterpreted. This phrase, sheep's clothing, is not a disguise that looks like a sheep. It is a disguise where the shepherd is concerned. It's the clothing that a shepherd would wear. The sheep's clothing that's being talked about are the woolen garments. They dress up just like a shepherd. The things that were expected to be worn on the body of a shepherd. Smell like a shepherd. Walk like a shepherd. Talk like a shepherd. Beware, because they will come to you dressed like a shepherd. They'll look like a pastor. Look like a teacher. Have all the trappings. Might even have a TV show or two. A couple of radio programs. Have all kinds of things that might make them look like they're a shepherd. But inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. You see, wolves care about one thing. Food. They're hungry almost constantly. The caloric intake of a wolf is one of the highest in the animal worlds. They don't just eat a little bit, they eat a lot. The average wolf consumes more calories than a human being, outweighs them by two to one. Wolves are constantly ravenous, they're constantly hungry, they're constantly roaming, they're constantly seeking, they're constantly desiring to kill and eat. So beware of those who come looking like shepherds who want to fill their own belly. Verse 16 says, and you will know them by their fruits. Kind of sounds incongruous. It's as if he switched gears on us. Jesus just kind of changed it up a little bit. But when you think about it, he's simply now explaining exactly how to determine what it is that a false shepherd does and is, what they act like, and most importantly, what they produce. For you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? That's an interesting thought because if someone were really crafty, of course, you could actually take some clusters of grapes and you could hang them on a thorn bush. And from afar, you might even be persuaded that those grapes grew on that thorn bush. You might also do the same thing with the figs on a thistle bush. So it's not completely out of the question that one might look at those two examples and go, well, he might be able to. It's possible. Jesus is drawing our attention to the crafty nature of false teachers. They know how to decorate. They can easily disguise 
bad fruit by putting it on a good tree. And they can cover up that good fruit with their bad tree. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. And the word translated there from the original Greek to bear means to bring forth as produce. In other words, it's not you can go grab an apple and hang it on the tree and it's bearing good fruit. It's that out of the existence of that tree, as it grows, as it stands in the sun, as it takes in nutrients from the soil, as the rain falls and waters it, the natural result of a good tree is to actually produce good fruit. It's the only way it can happen. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. In other words, it's impossible. Oh, we can have some fruit that stays on the tree too long. It can have some fruit that's some little bit more sweet than the other. But an apple tree is going to produce an apple. Cherry tree will produce cherries. A pear tree will produce pears. An apricot tree will produce apricots. They'll produce the exact kind of fruit that you would expect from that tree. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. But every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And therefore, by being a good fruit inspector, by their fruits... You shall know them. Not fruit, false teachers. By their fruit, you shall know a false prophet when you see one. Because a good teacher is going to bear good fruit and a bad teacher will bear bad fruit. A church that teaches the real gospel and the full counsel of God's word will produce healthy sheep from a good tree. And a false church preaching a false gospel will bring forth false sheep. You see, so the fruit that's being talked about here are people. Their works, their deeds, their words. Last week we saw those Two gates and two roads and two destinations and two people. And now there's two kinds of trees, the good and the bad. There's two kinds of fruit, the good and the bad. There's two types of people, those who profess real faith in Jesus Christ, those who are sincere, and those who have a false gospel. And it's important because there are a lot of people who follow after the false gospel. And so Jesus begins to speak to this issue. And so he says, look, you need to check out the trees. See if it's real. See if it's fake. See if those things are of God and of his word or not of God and contrary to his word. Because the context of this is false teaching. False prophets. So after he gives this invitation to enter by the narrow gate, he says there's few that come by it, but the broad one, the one that's over here, looks really good. It's actually marked heaven. It doesn't say hell this way. It says here's this broad gate. It's easy to get through. No qualifications whatsoever. You don't need to even think about letting Jesus be Lord. You can just simply go over here and say a couple of magic words and you'll be fine just like that. Join that church. You're going to be good to go. You you see, we stand at the crossroads of decision almost every day. Truth and the line. The true way to God is narrow and the false way is broad. Truth, by its own nature, can't have a competing other truth. Truth is truth. A lot of times we we hear the, the phrase, well, there's lots of ways to interpret that. No, there's lots of ways to apply truth, but there are not... Lots of ways to interpret truth. 
Truth is truth. It says what it means and means what it says. So when it says you shall not be a drunkard, that's exactly what it means. Not, well, if I only get a small buzz, as long as I don't inhale too much. It says you shall not be a fornicator. Well, but I really love her. I love him. So it's not actually fornication. No, that's not what it says. That is the broad way that leads to destruction. And there are a whole bunch of churches that will tell you, well, you know, as long as you mean to be married, God sees you as married. Or there's a church that says, love is love, even if it's two men and two women. That's heresy. The Bible clearly defines what marriage is. And it doesn't leave it room for discussion. In the beginning, God created man. And he made them male and female. And for this reason, marriage, the two shall become one flesh. You see, there's a lot of churches that go down that road of Let's just tolerate everything because it seems like it's the loving thing to do. And of course, God is love, so he just accepts whatever we decide. That's a false teacher teaching a false gospel. And it's a gospel that cannot save. And in fact, it's more deadly than outright poison. Because it creeps into the church subtly. It even looks like good fruit. It's big, it's beautiful, it has wonderful facilities. Jesus now basically says, in effect, as you strive to enter the narrow gate, walk that narrow way that leads to life, but beware of those who would mislead you. You see, just as there is a misleading gate and a misleading way, there's also misleading preachers and teachers. Those who take God's word, and as the Apostle Paul said, they peddle it for selfish gain. And you can spot them. They're pretty easy to see, actually. False gate has false prophets standing right in front of it and say, this way. They're prophets in nothing more than the world's way, painted up to look like church. Just as he describes the true and the false ways, he now describes the true and the false teacher. And so he says, check it out for yourself. Moses in Deuteronomy 13, if you want to turn there, verse 1, says this. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning that which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to them. The words of that dreamer, dreams, the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul. For you shall follow the Lord your God and you shall fear him. You shall keep his commandments and listen to his voice and serve him and cling to him. But if that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God. You you see, God holds very highly his word. Always has, still does. And so when those false prophets come and they say, well, God really doesn't mean that anymore. After all, we've now come to a place in modern psychology to where we realize that so many things are out of human control. After all, you're just born an alcoholic. You're born a sexual predator. You're, you're boy, born in, incapable of not using foul language. Can't do anything about it. And I tell you, your Bible doesn't bear witness to that. 
Do people grow up in environments that make it tough? Yes, absolutely. But sin is not a disease in the sense of a genetic defect that God left you with that you can do nothing about. Jesus Christ came that we might be set free from the bondage of sin and its consequence, death. And so you can expect that the real, true God is able to deliver. And so God doesn't change his standard on these things. It's not fine if we as the body of Christ say, well, you know, I can't help myself. I'm just a drunk. I can't help myself. I I really just don't want to stay married anymore. I can't help myself. I, 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 you know, I just like stealing stuff. But there are churches that have followed after the teaching of Balaam. Well, you know, it's just genetic. It's no longer a sin problem. And those same churches fail to call sin, sin. Oh, we'll just change what God's word says. We won't take it literally anymore. Family of God. The Lord said what he meant, meant what he said. And he means for us to live that way. Still. You see, they speak pleasant words. Prophet Isaiah actually said as much in Isaiah 30. Verse 9, it says, For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, and say to the seers, You must not see visions, and to the prophets, You must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words and prophesy illusions. In other words, in a modern day vernacular, don't tell us anything we don't want to hear. That's a false prophet. Because if God's word's doing what it's supposed to, and a pastor is reading God's word even remotely authoritatively, then you're going to get afflicted every once in a while. You're going to hear a message about how bitterness is as rottenness to your bones. And to be angry with people and not forgive them is sin. You're going to hear that message. You're not going to hear, well, it's okay. God understands your anger. Yes, he does understand your anger. You see, that's where the falsehood comes in. And he wants to deliver you from it, not keep you in it. Be careful. Beware of false teachers. Jesus is going to go on and speak from the sermon from the sermon on on the mount of olives give the olivet discourse shortly before that last passover week of his life the disciples ask him a question in Matthew 24 and that question was fairly simple what will the sign of your coming and the end of the age be and Jesus replied see that no one misleads you The sign of the coming of the last days is see that no one misleads you for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will mislead many for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders. They'll have huge churches, massive followings. They'll have Twitter followings like you won't believe. They'll have their own TV programs. They'll sell millions of books. But they'll still be false prophets. Because the truth won't be in them. And you can tell by simply examining what they say against the word of God. So as to mislead, if possible, even the elect of God. John warned the same point. In Second John, in verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Paul, the same thing in Romans 16, verse 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, to keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching that you have learned, and turn away from them. 
For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. You see, I think the church needs to beware. Because I've watched people drawn away by this very thing. Acts chapter 20, verse 29 says this, For I know, Paul writing, After my departure, savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things. We're going to actually look like the disciples, look like the apostles, to draw away the disciples after them, and therefore be on alert. Family of God, there's always been a large market for false prophets. And the reason Jesus reminded us, because men love darkness. They don't want to come to the light. The light is that narrow way. It's tough. It confronts us. You can't read most of Paul's writings without coming to the conclusion, man, this is hard. I'm supposed to Hope all things, believe all things. I'm supposed to forgive everyone every time. I'm supposed to count not my own life, dear. What is up with that? I want to look after me and mine. I don't care about you and yours. You see, that's the way our world works. And so when someone comes along and says, you know what? there's There's a new gospel and that new gospel allows you to hate at will. There's going to be a whole bunch of people join that church. A new gospel that says, well, you know, God really doesn't hate divorce. He just doesn't like it. That is a false gospel. God hates, literally hates divorce. He hates it. He doesn't kind of sort of like it. He's not okay with it. He allows it and he can heal it but he still hates it. But there are churches that won't even confront members within within the ranks of that body and say, well, you know what? I'm I'm leaving my spouse. You know, it's been three weeks since she washed the car. I'm done. Well, brother, I'd leave her too. God wants you to be happy. It's a false gospel. It's a gospel of selfishness. A gospel that no longer denies self, that no longer picks up the cross, no longer follows him. It's a gospel that says, I'm here to be served. That's the opposite of what Jesus said. But there's a lot of churches who preach that gospel. And they're full. Very popular. So Jesus tells us how to spot these character flaws within teaching. You see, from the beginning, God's redemptive work here on this earth, on behalf of fallen mankind, his true representatives have been very easy to see. They were a strange lot. And they spoke a message that most people didn't want to hear. Why? Because a vast majority of the gospel is contrary to our human nature. Most of the message of the Bible doesn't tell you that you're all okay. It tells you that mm, you could stand some change in that area. I'm supposed to be gentle and meek and humble. That describes almost no one by nature. Very few people that those qualities come easy to. I'm supposed to be kind, generous, looking out for other people. People don't want to hear that. They want to hear that their own personal hurts take precedence over everyone else and over the word of God. Your hurts matter to God, but he wants to heal them. He doesn't want to explain them away. He wants to actually solve the problem. You see, the most dangerous characteristic of false prophets 
is that they claim to be from God and speak on his behalf. You can lump in that category modern liberal theology. You can lump into that pop psychology. You can lump into that situational ethics, self-esteem, self-help, evolutionary theory. All of those things belong in that same basket. Because pretty soon, if you believe that we actually came from monkeys, if you actually believe that, then you got a really tiny God. And one would have to wonder whether you actually owe him any allegiance if you're nothing more than a collection of chemicals with a little bit of information on them. But you're not. You've been uniquely created by God. And he has a wonderful plan for your life, a purpose. And when you say yes to Jesus Christ, that begins to unfold. You you see a belief system that denies the deity of Jesus Christ, the inerrancy of Scripture, the authority of the Word, the sufficient power of the Holy Spirit, is a false gospel. If you don't need the Holy Spirit of God as a believer, you need to check and see where you're getting fed. Zechariah was absolutely correct. It is not by mind. Might. It's not by power. It is, in fact, by my spirit, says the Lord. You see, the false church in our world no longer teaches God's word. They teach wonderful self-help messages about how you can become your best self. Let me give you a little, little hint here. The best you is still a pile of trash. Now, if I write a book and that's the title, it's not going to sell many copies. The best you is a pile of trash. But that's actually what your Bible says. That is what your Bible actually says about the human condition. For all my good deeds are as filthy rags. For in me dwells no good thing. The heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked, and who can that's your condition. That's the human condition. Now, can we change? Absolutely. Can we be redeemed? Can we begin to do things that are well pleasing to God? Of course. But when you start start focusing in on how you can be a better human being and you leave out the work of the Holy Spirit, the necessity of the Word of God. And to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you have left out the very thing that your Bible declares is essential. That's a false gospel. Jeremiah knew this. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 30, it says this, An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule their own, with their own authority. And my people love it so. See, when people start clinging to that false narrative, that false gospel, that gospel that is absent truth, leaves out the word of God, puts those truths away, says, well, you don't really need to do that anymore. After all, we're we're 2,000 years from the time of Jesus. They surely couldn't have written with authority about what's going on in the world today. We know better. The moment someone says that to you, you need to turn and run. Because God is still God. And if what he said 2,000 years ago isn't true today, he's not God. If he can learn something, he's not God. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 14, verse 14, The prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. And I have neither sent them nor commanded them nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you in a false vision, in divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. Chapter 23 went on. It was such a problem then, just as it's a problem today. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem in Jeremiah 23, 14, it says, I've seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery, the walking in falsehood, They strengthen the hands of the evildoers so that no one has turned back from their wickedness. 
In other words, they had so dumbed down the message that the message they preached didn't cause anybody to go out and even think about being transformed or changed. They were perfectly comfortable staying right in their sin. That's a false prophet with a false message. That is bad fruit. For thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of those prophets who are prophesying to you, for they're leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. And I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. You see, false teaching's been around a long time. It's not a popular thing in our world today to actually teach the full counsel of God's word. It's very popular to pick and choose and pull out verses that make people feel good. But it's not popular to pull out verses that actually challenge us to change. The Bible largely challenges us to change. As we're, as a church, reading through the Bible again this year, as you read through it, you can't but help and look and see But you are confronted almost daily by the word of God to change, to adjust your attitude, to move your moral compass to the right position, to to settle in on the things that are important to God, not on the things that are important to you. And so Jesus says, beware of bad fruit from bad trees. He warns us of that danger. That danger is very real. And we need to be on guard for it. And they're not just dangerous because they look dangerous. They're actually dangerous because they don't look dangerous. They're dangerous because they look like, maybe that's a good church. Maybe that's a nice pastor, a nice guy. Now, I want to be a nice guy. And I love to be people's friends. But more importantly, I want to tell you the truth. I would rather tell you the truth and lose you as a friend than tell you a lie and gain you as a friend. That's how much I value the truth. At my age, I'm going home soon. I look at life like a challenge now. How many people can I actually offend before I go? I just tell them the truth. What are they going to do? No, I'm just kidding you. But it, it, is, it is important for us to recognize that, that the truth is offensive at times. It doesn't make people feel good about their sin. They like to feel good about their sin. They like to have you tell them, well, you know, it's, it's okay. When God says it's not okay, it's not okay. In Palestine, the wolves that they're talking about were the natural enemy of the sheep. They roamed the hills, roamed the valleys. They were pretty much everywhere the sheep were. And the sheep actually stayed away from the wolves when they were in the area. But when a sheep strayed, when a sheep got away from the sheepfold, when a sheep got out of the flock, when a sheep traveled someplace the sheep shouldn't be, the sheep were vulnerable. When they stayed together under a good shepherd, they were normally just fine. And that's the picture that Jesus brings to us. Sheep who wander around on their own, and you probably met them. Oh, I don't go to church. I have church at my house. I have the church of Budweiser. And NFL. We don't meet all year round, just three months out of the year. You've met them. Their church is very popular. Matters many many people can fit in their living room. That's how many people they have in their church. You've probably also met the people. Well, I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. You met that church? That's another way of saying I don't like the truth. So I'm not going to go to church. So I'll just call everybody else hypocrites. Look, the fact of the matter is, we can all be hypocritical. But if you're looking for a hypocrite-free earth, you need to find a new one. 
you see you've met him. The word harpax, which is the word that's translated here, ravenous from the original language, actually means swindler. It means someone who purports to give you something that's good, but instead gives you something that's evil. They're over here, well, I'm not really a wolf. I mean, look, I'm dressed like a shepherd. I'm not really a wolf. I mean, look at the flock that I'm in. I'm not really a wolf. I mean, look at all these healthy sheep that are around here. Just don't go behind that bush bush over there. That's where I left the remains, the last one I ate. You see, they're shepherds. When you see them, but they're wolves inside. The book of Jude gives us a warning about these same guys, and I encourage you to read that whole chapter, the entire book. There in verses 22 and 23, it says, Have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatch them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating the garment polluted by the flesh. He, he, he's saying, look, there's a, there are several groups of people. Some were genuine believers. Some were unbelievers who kind of lost their way. And others, you need to snatch them back. He'd be bold and tell them the truth. You can inspect the fruit that's on their tree. You say, that's rotten fruit. And you have a fruit manual. It's called your Bible. You can actually leaf through it and go, wow, that's rotten fruit. You probably have a topical index in the back of your Bible. You can look back there and it's like, okay, what does the Bible say about? And pick your subject. Then you go to those passages, read it in context. But what does God say about that? You're going to find out that there's a lot of people preaching a false gospel in our world. And the danger of those false prophets is, is, and it increases with their deception, because the more people that follow them, the more it looks like truth. Why some of these guys, when you look at them, the Cruffalo Dollars, the Benny Hens, the Prosperity Doctrine guys, those people, oh, it looks like they're doing great. Until you actually show up like I did at one of their churches when I was doing a construction project in Texas. Went to John Evanzini's church. Used to be on TBN all the time. Mega church, or so you thought, unless you actually watched one of his services. And they put up ropes about halfway down the middle aisles to crunch everybody in the middle, focus the camera position so all you could see was a hundred or so people sitting in there. Had laugh tracks, applause tracks. I actually went in and sat down. I was like, I was absolutely blown away. Filmed the whole television show like there was 5,000 people in that sanctuary. There's 100 people in there if there were that. Spent the whole evening talking about planting a seed gift. If you got one God to take care of your finances, you need to make sure you, you need to come up here right now. You write a bigger or a fatter check, you're going to have a bigger or fatter check in your mailbox when you go home. That is a doctrine of demons. It comes straight out of Satan's mouth. Matter of fact, Jesus actually put it this way, the poor you will have with you always. It rains on the just and the unjust. Tomorrow is promised to no man. In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Because Jesus said he's overcome the world. You you see, there are false prophets And they got jets, big churches, mansions on the hill. Got lots of stuff that make people think, well, that's got to be truth. Look how God's blessing them. It has nothing to do with God blessing them. It's actually rotten fruit. Because it's fruit that's stolen from widows and orphans and from God's tithe. God's tithe is God's, by the way. The book of Malachi declares that very plainly. In fact, it's so much so it says, how have we robbed you, God, in tithes and offerings? 
Repent from your evil deeds and bring your, your tithes into the storehouses of the Lord. It's because you belong to God. And any man that's got his hands on God's stuff is a false prophet. They're heretics, they're deceivers, they're apostates. And so Jesus says, watch that fruit, inspect it, see what it looks like, see what it smells like, can it pass the test? You see, the primary purpose of a fruit tree is to bear good fruit, amen? If you go out, and you know, Connie, we were at Home Depot the day before yesterday, and we're walking there, and they've got all the citrus trees out right now. It's time to plant citrus trees. Now, if you go over there and you, you buy an orange tree, you don't buy an orange tree so you can increase your water bill, right? You buy an orange tree so you get oranges. You, you, you buy a lemon tree so you can make lemonade. You buy a lime tree, you squeeze a little lime in your mineral water. An apple tree, so on and so forth. All fruit trees, you buy fruit trees so that you'll take the care to tend them and fertilize them and water them so that they'll bear fruit. That's the whole purpose of the analogy here. You should be able to look at a fruit tree, any church, or a believer's life and say, that's the fruit of the Spirit coming out of that person's life. That's the fruit of the Spirit coming out of that ministry. That is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, self-control. That, that's, a, that's a person whose life is marked by the things that are gospel-centered, Christ-centered. We inspect the fruit. We look at it and we say, I'm, I'm not going to invest in something that isn't bearing fruit. So there's no need to be deceived. You can simply look at it. There's no fruit. There's nothing coming out of that ministry that honors the Lord. There isn't anything coming out of that person's life that says they even know him. You know, every once in a while we'll have somebody that comes to the church and they're here for a nefarious reason. Oh, they come. Wow, I just, you know, I really want to serve. And they're a 30-something-year-old man that wants to hang around with the high school girls. We inspect their fruit, and then we squish their fruit. That's rotten fruit. You're not here because you want to serve Jesus. You're here because you're preying on our young people. And that ain't happening. You see, you can look at the fruit that comes out of someone's life and go, that's not the fruit of the Spirit which is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, self-control. You can tell by their character. You can tell by their creed. You can tell by the converts that they produce. Three things in closing. You see a person's basic character, their inner motivation, their standards, their loyalties, their attitudes, their ambitions, the things that you can say when you talk to them, you get this understanding from just being around them. Their character is a great way to judge the fruit that comes out of their life. Their manner of living, that fruit of repentance, they're quick to understand that their life isn't perfect. They need to change. That's why Paul had reminded us that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, there should be fruit that comes out of our lives. And we walk worthy of that. Book of Colossians says, so much so that we please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, when someone claims to be a Christian and they never talk about God, when someone claims to be a Christian, they never go to church. When someone claims to be a Christian, they never read the word. When someone claims to be a Christian, they can't remember the last time they prayed. When someone claims to be a Christian and there's no Christ in them, you kind of get the picture that maybe that's some bad fruit. You need to be willing to say, look, you know, if you're actually a believer, you're, you're supposed to be marked by the character of Christ not the character of the world. 
You should be bearing fruit, just as John 15 reminds us. Much fruit, as a matter of fact. We should become more fruitful as we get older in the Lord. Paul speaks of our having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. We saw that in the first chapter in the book of Philippians. That passage in Galatians, I've been bouncing around all night. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's fruit inspection. When someone's constantly angry, when someone's constantly bitter, when someone's constantly hateful, when someone is constantly seeking to put people at odds, when they're constantly covetous, when they can't keep their hands off of other people's stuff, when they're always looking out for themselves, when they have no self-control, that's bad fruit. You need to be very careful around people like that. Good shepherd will tell you that. Person who doesn't belong to God, especially the false prophet who claims to be God's messenger, sooner or later, that bad fruit is going to manifest itself. The old axiom goes, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time, is actually a truism. If you watch someone's life for long enough, you'll actually eventually figure out exactly what kind of person they really are. And you know when that's most visible? When things are tough. When things are hard. When life isn't quite going the way they want it to. You'll know them by their creeds, the things that they put forth as doctrine, the things that are their life lessons that they want you to learn from. False ideas are going to be taught by false prophets. That's what happens. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. In other words, you actually love the Lord. You're going to get convicted by the Holy Spirit that what you're doing is wrong. You'll actually speak the truth then. It's like, I, I, I can't say that. I can't do that. I can't live that. I can't encourage that because it's not true. Isaiah counseled us in Isaiah 8. To the law of the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because they have no light in them. In other words, somebody who runs contrary to the word of God, you need to be very careful of listening to that person. I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds of hours of marital counseling that I've sat with people and listened to the effects of godless counsel in a Christian's life. Very often coming from family. Well, just leave me. You know, don't put up, don't, no, you don't have to forgive. Really. You might want to read Matthew chapter 18 and ask yourself that question again. Forgiveness is mandatory from a believer because we've been forgiven. Grace is mandatory from believers because we've received grace. Mercy is mandated from us. We already saw that in this amazing sermon. Mercy will be given unto those who are merciful. You see, you have to speak according to God's word as a believer. The pulpit, the platform, the pamphlets that these hucksters pass out, they they do away with God's word. They do away with God's holiness. They do away with God's character. They have the false creeds of of a false message. On the surface... That message seems like, oh, you know, that's pretty close to what the Bible says. Then under further inspection, you realize it doesn't say what Christ would say at all. It's the makings of man. There's no brokenness over sin. There's no longing after righteousness. Those types of people have very easy answers to very small problems, but they have no answers to big problems. Their answers to big problems are, well, just leave. You know, well, God understands why you drink every night. You know, after all, you have a rough life. I can't even tell you how many people have come to me and said, well, my pastor told me I should divorce my husband or my wife. I can't tell you how many 
Hundreds of times I've heard something to that effect in the course of my ministry. Got in counsel at some other church, and the pastor told them, well, you know, you don't need to stick around. I mean, after all, if they say something mean to you, that's verbal abuse. You need to be gone. It's not what your Bible says. The Bible says forgive, and you'll be forgiven. The Bible says turn the other cheek. The Bible says how many times must I forgive? Seventy times seven, a myriad. What's too deep to warrant unforgiveness? Nothing. I don't like to hear that. You'll know them by their false creeds. And finally, you'll know them by their false converts. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. You see, fruit inspectors, if they're doing their job, if we're looking in the right places for the right things, false prophets, false teachers are pretty easy to spot because their converts look just like them. They run around speaking falsehood. Contrary, they'll follow after, as Second Peter says, their own sensuality because the way of truth in them is maligned. Paul actually told the Corinthian church that there will be factions amongst them so that people might be proved. You see, believers that are carnal, believers that don't walk in the truth, beget believers who are carnal and believers who don't walk in the truth. And consequently, you, you might want to ask yourself whether they actually know the same Lord as you. Don't fall for them because they're very dangerous. They can lead your life to places of ruin that you never thought you'd go. False prophets or false followers do not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10 says, And for this reason God will send upon them a delusion of influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they might all be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. You see, that's a false converse. Someone, someone that comes along and says, hey, you know, God just freed me up. I, I now, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm a man. I can marry a man. That is a false creed from a false convert. Because God's word doesn't say that. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit, Jesus said, will be cut down, thrown into the fire. You don't want to be in that group. You want to be somebody who knows the truth, teaches the truth, walks in the truth, preaches the creed of truth, is available for other people to come to for the truth. And so all you need to do is take out your Bible and inspect the fruit. And if it lines up with what your Bible says, it's good fruit. If it doesn't line up with what your Bible says, and it's not malicious, issue a word of exhortation to that person. Say, brother, sister, God's word actually says this, and you said that. Be loving, be gentle, but speak the truth in love. Don't speak a lie lovingly. Speak the truth in love. Because for some people, their eternity is resting on those words. And you want to bear the truth with you wherever you go. So that when people look at our lives, they can say, that's good fruit from a good tree. Amen? Now the pastors come forward, the prayer warriors going to worship, spend a little bit of time. Maybe you've got something going on in your life and you need prayer. We'd love to pray with you. Perhaps there's been some areas in your life to where the truth really isn't in you. You've believed that lie. Maybe you need to counsel with somebody, be set free from it.
love to pray with you. But as you go out in this world, you need to be wise. Wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. And remember that a good tree, you can tell. Because it brings forth good fruit. You can know a false shepherd from a real shepherd. And so as you look at the world around you, make sure that you're following hard after God. That you know the truth and the truth has set you free. Amen? Why don't you stand? Let's pray. We'll spend a little bit of time in worship and prayer. If you need to go, you've got a place you have to be. By all means, feel free. If you want to stay and worship, we're going to probably do maybe a couple, three songs. If you need prayer, come and be prayed for. If you don't know Jesus, no better time than tonight to meet the God who loves you through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, and we pray, Lord, you'd help us to know the truth. Lord, that we would be wise and discerning, that we'd understand what the will of the Lord is. And so, Father, we give you again afresh and anew our own lives, that we might bear truth in this world. Lord, wherever we go, would we lead people properly in the character of Christ, the creeds of Christ, that we might create converts of Christ. We bless you, we praise you, we thank you, and God's people all said, Amen. Amen.